Hey, uh, but we're wrapping up. Today's actually our last Sunday talking through this series, Human versus Human. And, and we get this, we know this, that we're always in some kind of interaction with other people, right? You cannot go through a day and not have some kind of human interaction. And, and that, is, that, that is really what the problem is, people. And uh, not just people sitting next to you, you're the problem too. If no one's ever told you that, let me tell you, you're the problem. Now I'll give you permission. You can look at me and say the exact same thing. Come on, let me, let me have it. I know, I appreciate that. <laughs> but that's the truth, isn't it? People are the problem. And so how do we interact? How do we do it? That's what we've been trying to answer over the last several weeks. We're going to finish it up today. But let me give you a reminder, especially in light of uh, Billy Graham. He said, uh, he said, obviously, a ton of stuff. Here's something that has stuck with me. Here's a quote from Billy Graham. He said, being a Christian is more than just instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. I mean, that's just, well, let that sink in for a second, because we, we give ourselves a bad rap sometimes. Oh, man, I just didn't do that right. Or, yeah, it's a process. Day by day, we grow in this thing called the Christian life or our faith. And it's not a one and done. It's not a, man, I was saved, and so I don't have to think about it anymore. And it's most certainly not an, I'm saved and Man, I don't have to work on anything ever again. No, it's, man, I'm saved. That gives me the hope, the peace, the connection with God to continue to work through this entire life. So with that in mind, know that we're all in process. We're all working towards it. We're not going to do it perfectly. We say here a lot that we stumble in the right direction. But let's make sure we're at least aiming in the right direction. We're not going to get it right every time, but let's at least aim in the right direction. So what I want us to look at this morning is out of James, just a few verses, but I promise there is plenty in there. Um, you don't want me to read too much out of James. It's going to be way too much to work on, way too convicting. So we're just going to do a couple verses. I think we can handle that. So James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 7. If you want to get there, if not, I'll put them in the, on the screen behind me. But before I dig into it, I want you to do me a favor. For all my note takers in the house, uh, grab that worship guide, that invite card that you came in with. If you don't like to take notes, then just ignore me for the next 30 seconds. But if you do take notes, this is going to be helpful. And honestly, this is a great Bible study tool, especially for the book of James, because he speaks to a lot of this, what Billy Graham was talking about, that process of growing in your Christian faith and your Christian walk. So here's what I would have you do, is on one side, write B. B-E, right? B, a line down the middle. We're making two columns. And on the right side, don't. B, a column there, don't, and a column there. And if you were to go through the book of James, which I highly recommend, you'll notice a lot of things falling under those two categories. Be like this. Be in this way. Be, and then he gives another list of, well, don't be like this. Don't have these traits. Don't act like this. It's a lot of these bees and don'ts, and we're going to see both of those, in fact, in just the few verses we're going to look at this morning. So keep that. Keep, keep your eyes looking for those bees and those don'ts. You see it, obviously, throughout Scripture, but most certainly throughout the book of James, and we'll see it here. Let's look at it. James chapter 5, verse 7 says, be, we see it right there, be what? Be patient. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk on patience today. Some of you are like, and I've had enough. I've got to go do something else. <laughs> don't worry. I don't want to preach on it any more than you want to hear about it. Be patient, Scripture says, James says, then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
Don't, there's our first don't, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge, and those are capital T's, capital J, that's Jesus he's talking about. The judge is standing at the door. Let's start with the B side of things. B, what was it again? Let's, let's say it. Patience. Yes, we don't like talking about it because we all need it. We all struggle with it. Most of us never have it. And when we do, it seems like a pretty big deal to us. <laughs> Be patient. But let me help us understand what patience really is. Because I think we just, in our language, we water it down a little bit. We, we use patience in place of just waiting. Anytime we need to wait for anything. We're waiting in line. We're waiting at the drive-thru. Any kind of waiting, we just say, well, patient. And of course, patience has an element of waiting, but it is, it is much more significant and much more difficult than just waiting. You can wait patiently, but you can also wait in a very different way. <laughs> you can wait and not be patiently waiting. In fact, I would say that patience, true patience, the way that scripture talks about patience, has more to do with endurance than it does waiting. That it's more, more tied to the idea of endurance than just waiting for something to happen or waiting for something to move forward or waiting for your turn. And I know that because if you look at the original word, you know, the New Testament, most of it's, it's in Greek. So you take the Greek word of patience. I won't even try to make you pronounce that word. But you take it, and there's two root words. That's where we get patience. So there's two root words. The first one is macros. You can understand. It's kind of where we get the idea of macro, big picture. So macros and thumos. Macros and thumos, you throw those two words together, and that's where you have the original Greek word of patience. So how does macros and thumos create patience, or at least define patience? Macros, like I said, you could understand that means something of, of big picture, longevity, duration. It's this idea of a long haul. It's going to take some time, right? And that's where we would tie patience and waiting together because of macros. But then you have this other side to it of thumos. Thumos quite literally means, let me read this for you, it literally means passion, heating up, wrath, or breathing violently. That's thumos. <laughs> so how do you have patience when the two root words are long time, long haul, endure, or kind of this idea of endurance, but then you also have wrath, violently breathing, and getting hot. <laughs> you throw those together and that's a true picture and definition of patience. Because we all know in our relationships especially, things can get heated, can't they? Things can escalate. You can be in a relationship and you have a very heated discussion or a heated conversation, a heated disagreement. When we interact with one another, oftentimes it escalates, it can escalate, and it becomes very, very heated. And what patience is saying is it doesn't buckle under that heat. Patience means you can, you've heard the phrase, keep your cool. Here's, here's another way to look at it. I've got uh, my teapot of hot water. I've got two cups up here. My first one is a 50-cent blue plastic cup. So if I pour the hot water in the blue plastic cup, probably not a good idea to put hot things in a 50-cent cup, but we'll see what happens. You put hot water in a blue plastic cup that is very cheap, very thin, very flimsy. What does the cup start to do? <laughs> Melt, yes. <laughs> Over time. That's why I brought two, just in case. But it gets hot, doesn't it? In fact, you know, some of you even might have gotten coffee this morning and the cup was getting hot, so you had to put a sleeve on or you have to double cup it. It's because that container is not intended to hold that kind of heat for very long. In other words, this container, this cup has a very low threshold for heat. 
the contents goes in, the contents is hot, and therefore this cup is going to get hot, and I'm not going to be able to physically hold the cup because it can't handle that kind of heat. That's why we have different kinds of cups. We have thermoses, we have all sorts of things, and God gave us Yetis not too long ago. So now I have my Yeti. I do the exact same thing. I take the same hot water, same temperature of water. What happens to the cup? Absolutely nothing. It was worth every penny. Probably not, but still. <laughs> Those of you worth the Ozark brands like, yeah, you didn't have to spend that much. and You're probably right. <laughs> but this acts very differently. Because I can hold this all day long. I mean, the, the temperature of the water has not changed. It's not cooled down. The temperature of the water is still hot. Yet the container it goes in does not change. It remains the same. And this cup specifically has a very high threshold for holding heat, for holding hot water or any kind of a hot content. That's patience. That is a picture of patience. When we interact with one another and it gets very heated when there's a disagreement, when there's conflict, those things happen. How do you respond? What happens with you? When that is brought into your life, that hot dis disagreement, <laughs> that conversation, that argument, you don't believe the same things, whatever the issue may be, how do you respond? Do you heat up with it? Do you get emotionally, do you emotionally escalate the conversation? Or are you able to have a high threshold for that heat? Do we buckle under the heat? Do we melt under the heat? Or can we keep our cool? That's what patience literally is getting at. It's saying, I can't control how other people respond and react to me. I, I, I'm going to get upset. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to get angry. But does my patience step in? Does my patience step in and allow me to keep my cool? Or do we begin to match that temperature? This cup matches temperature. You leave this here long enough, and that cup is going to get just as hot, if not just a little bit less. It's going to get hot based on what's in that. And as the temperature of the water increases, if I were to put boiling water in that cup, that'd be a really bad idea. But if you put boiling water in that cup, that cup is going to get even hotter. You put boiling water in the Yeti, and it's not going to get, the cup itself is not going to change the outside temperature. As people in your life are going to bring frustrations into your life. How do you respond? Scripture tells us very clearly, be patient. And I believe patience is made up of two things here, specifically. Sacrifice and endurance. I believe patience requires those two things. We said that patience has a level of endurance. That's kind of the waiting piece of that. that that's the macros piece of that. But then the thumos piece of that, I believe that's where sacrifice comes into play. Because it is a whole lot easier to just lose your patience, isn't it? That's a whole lot easier. I just lost it yesterday with my kids. Super easy to do. Not hard whatsoever to lose patience. Not at all. It's easier to blow our tops. It's easier to just act the way we want to act and say what we want to say. It's easier to make the jabs. It's, that's all easy. It is a whole lot harder to deny those those feelings and those desires and say, no, I'm going to act this way instead. That's a choice we have to make. Instead of just reacting based on our emotions, our wants, and our desires, and our feelings, we say, no, what's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to say or not to say? That becomes a choice, makes it a lot harder, and that's where sacrifice comes into play. Patience is sacrificing, but with endurance. It's sacrificing the right to be right. It's sacrificing, again, our desires and wanting to just say what we want to say. 
It takes sacrifice, yes, to be patient, but it's not just one time, is it? No, a life of patience has the endurance. You continue to do it over and over and over again. Be patient, Scripture tells us. Be patient. Now, let me offer a suggestion. I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that our prayers and the words that we say um, should be very intentional. And uh, it's, it's kind of hard to live this out, but I, I even kind of, with our kids, I'm trying to teach them how to pray. And so I try my best and, and make sure that they understand the power of prayer and the words that we say. And I caught myself the other day, you know, we're, we're having like just hot dogs. And I said, God, bless this food. And I paused and I was like, there's no way God's going to bless whatever's in this hot dog. Not possible. <laughs> Not possible. But I was like, my kids will get what I'm getting at. But, but I, I say that to get to this of, I want you to really focus on the words that you say when you pray. And to the point of in our relationships, usually those words, God's like, I'm not really going to bless that or answer your prayer in the way that you're praying it. That's not what I'm getting at. And what I'm saying is often our prayers are, God, fix this relationship. God, that person's not perfect, so make them perfect because then this will work. That tends to be a lot of our prayers in some form or fashion. It's fix them. It's change this. God, make this relationship work. We pray things like that. And I'm not saying that's a bad prayer, but I'm saying God's looking at you saying, well, um, what are you going to do about it? So here's, here's my suggestion on how to change some of those relationship fix-it prayers. Here's what I would suggest. God, in my imperfect relationships, help me to respond perfectly. Instead of praying that your imperfect relationships will become perfect, why don't you start praying? Why don't we begin to pray, God, help me to respond perfectly? Doesn't mean I am perfect. Doesn't mean this relationship is going to become perfect. Doesn't mean the other person is going to be perfect. All of that is imperfect. So help me to respond with perfect patience. In other words, God, help me to increase my threshold for heat. Help me to increase my ability to stay cool even when things are boiling. God, help me to be that. If we can be that, you will see a relationship grow in health and the ability to thrive. Relationships cannot thrive when there's not patience. It can't. It most certainly can't. So there's a challenge for you. I know, a little too convicting. We'll move on. I told you you could only handle a couple verses out of James today. Here's the second one. Second one. So we have a B. Be patient. Let's adjust how we pray. Let's focus on having that high threshold for heat. Here's the next thing he says. In verse 9, he goes to the don't side. Don't, and remember what it said, don't grumble. Don't grumble, don't complain. It says, don't grumble against one, another's brother, against one another, brother or sister, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, James is writing to a specific group of people. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, the whole beginning of James's letter, his book, says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So he's talking to the Jews specifically. Now, of course, it's in God's word, and we're going to glean and learn a ton out of it. But originally, know the context here, James is writing to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. And they most certainly knew their history. That was something very close to them. They knew their history. They have an incredible story. That's the Old Testament. And they knew that. They would have been very familiar with that. So when James writes this, don't grumble, that would have struck a nerve for every single Jew that heard that. Don't grumble. Ooh, grumble. Because every single Jewish person with a history, knowing anything of their history as Israelites, knew that they have a history of grumbling and complaining. You go through the Old Testament and their story, you see grumbling and complaining be a pretty major part of their story. 
And so it would have struck a nerve. They would have understood what James was getting at, and they would have put it in context. In fact, if you were to look at one of these pieces in Exodus chapter 16, here's what had just happened. The Israelites had been stuck in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for generations, and they had been crying out to God, complaining, God, help us. God, save us. God, deliver us. So God answers them. He says, absolutely, sends Moses and he delivers them out of Egypt and remember everything that they saw. They got to see God working through Moses and the plagues, got to see the Red Sea part, and now they're free. They're out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land two and a half months after they get out of Egypt. Scripture says two and a half months later, listen to what happened. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. Again, two and a half months later, after being stuck in Egypt for years and years and years, says verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That's what a toddler says. You're making me starve. We're going to die. You should have just left us there to rot. Why have you brought us here? We should go back to where we were. I mean, it sounds like what a toddler would say, right? They've only been out of Egypt for two and a half months, and they're already complaining that they're not in Egypt. Two and a half months. My, how they had forgotten. Again, think of everything that they forgot. Years and years and years in slavery. And then finally, God answers them in one of the most real, powerful ways we can see in Scripture. The plagues. You've seen the movie. That's incredible that God did that. And then he marches them out of Egypt with the army of Egypt following them. And they get to this, this big body of water called the Red Sea. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? And God says, no big deal. Check this out. And scripture says that they walked across dry land through the Red Sea to the other side. And then as soon as the Egyptian chariots and armies came in, the river, or the, the, the water came in and just killed them all. They had just been in that spot two and a half months ago. Yet all of a sudden they forgot what God had done. It's amazing how forgetful we can become in the midst of complaining and grumbling. That's what James was helping remind the Jews of and us of as well. We complain because we forget. Oh, we complain because we forget. If you were to take anything that we would grumble or complain about and you dig in a little bit deeper, deeper you're going to see there's a lot of amnesia in there. There's a lot of God moments that we have glossed over or forgotten between when it happened and now when we're complaining about it. I know this to be true. I mean, I've seen it in my personal life on how forgetful I can become. I remember when we were having Connor in the hospital and delivery room and, and our, my firstborn, my son, Connor, he makes his way into the world and, and he breathes in his first breath and he lets out the biggest, sweetest cry you could ever hear. And I remember in that moment, like, dad, for the first time, my boy, I can't believe this has happened and all worries and stresses. I don't really remember much about that day at all, but I remember that cry and I remember truly saying to God, God, thank you. Thank you that I get to, to be an overseer of this kid and to raise him. And God, thank you. And, and he's healthy. And you know, it's like, man, you want to hear that big, loud cry. It means they're healthy and they're strong and their lungs are ringing. I'm like, God, thank you for that cry. That lasted for about a day. 
I remember being in the hospital day two thinking, why won't he stop crying? How do you get him to stop in like pacifiers and bottles and nurse? You try everything you can to get him to stop crying. Just 24 hours later, I was on my knees thanking God for that cry. And I did it two more times with my other kids. When Cole was born, God, thank you for this wonderful cry. And then a day later, I can't believe he's still crying. My daughter Collins was born and oh, the similar cry, but a little bit more shrill. But God, thank you for the cry of my daughter. My baby girl, thank you. And she's like 14, 14 months, 14 months. <laughs> year, two year, three years, these months, things got to stop people. Anyway, 14 months later, it's like, why, why, ow, right? We forget. We forget the gratitude. We forget what we're thankful for. We forget the commitments we made because when we complain, when we grumble, my goodness, we forget. So James is saying, don't grumble. And he's saying, remember, <laughs> Remember why? Remember what to be thankful for? Because the Israelites have a history in grumbling and complaining, but we most certainly do as well. Now, I have to show you this next part because, trust me, I would much rather gloss over this next part, but we've got to look at it. In that same verse, he says, don't grumble against one another's brothers or sisters and sisters. And, and he gives the reason why here for the most part. Don't grumble against one another or you will be, and what's it say? judged we don't like to talk about that especially in church you will be judged the judge jesus the judge is standing at the door he says there's a direct consequence to your grumbling and complaining is what he's getting at we don't always think of it that way right if if you've ever heard somebody say well i just say it like i see it you're welcome to do that Brothers and sisters, or you will be judged for the judge is standing at the door. So you're welcome to call it like you see it. You're welcome to grumble and complain, but know that there's consequences that we don't always see, that we don't even see immediately, do we? No, oh, I'm just venting. I'm just getting things off my chest. Now, I agree there's a healthy place for that, but I'll tell you, nowhere in Scripture have I found God say, blessed are those who vent. I've not seen that. Now, is there some healthy conversations that you need to be able to have with some close, intentional people in your life? Sure. But this idea of just, I just have to have no filter. I'm allowed to have no filter. Again, you can, but do you understand the consequences of it? If you go back and look at the Israelite story of grumbling and complaining, grumbling and complaining, we're talking about consistent grumbling and complaining based off of that and then in addition to their disobedience, which know that grumbling and complaining breeds disobedience. It's going to happen. The more you complain and grumble, it's going to lead you down the path of disobedience. Because of that, God said, I've had enough. He, go, he pulls the dad card. He says, that's it. None of y'all are going to the promised land. Nope. Actually, all y'all are going to stay in the desert for another 40 years until that generation dies and I'll let your kids go into the promised land. You're in time out in the desert until you die. I mean, you talk about a permanent grounding. That's what Jesus does. That's what God did here. Parents, you cannot pull that card. You, because of your complaining, you're grounded till you die. It doesn't work for us. It works for God. He looked at the Israelites and said, no more. Go back and read through it. Parents, look up Numbers 11.1. 1. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. That is your family Bible verse. Post it on the door frames. Put it on your fence post. Look it up. Your kids are going to love me for that. But you see, um, you see direct consequences to their grumblings and to their complainings to the point where it literally blocked them from entering the promised land. God said, no. The promise I have for you, you cannot have anymore because of your grumbling and complaining. 
put that in context of our relationships. Our grumblings and our complainings, may, they, may, may it be possible, maybe even probable, that we are being blocked from a healthy and thriving relationship because of our grumblings and complainings. Just maybe. Just maybe. If God was willing to block an entire generation out of the promised land because of theirs, maybe we're missing out on healthy, thriving relationships because of ours. Just maybe. He says, be patient. Have a high threshold for heat. He says, don't grumble. Don't grumble. Billy Graham also said this. He lived a powerful, influential, yet pretty significant life, and he was, in my opinion, one of the best at taking God's word and saying, here's what it says and here's what it means. He said this, read the Bible, work hard and honestly, and don't complain. I love that. Read the Bible, work hard and honestly, and don't complain. Now, why would he say that? Obviously, it's in scripture. Why is this such a big deal to God? Because, because of the consequences. Now, if you see patience and grumbling and complaining, they, they do have something in common here. The idea of time is in both of these. Patience is that high threshold of pain. It's that sacrifice with endurance. It does take time to be patient. It's, it is an element of waiting over time. Grumbling and complaining, on the other hand, you don't see those consequences immediately, but you do see the wear and tear over time. So both of them happen over the course of time. We don't see them overnight. It takes time for both. One strengthens relationships. The other erodes relationships. It just will slowly but surely strip away the joy and life and love in that relationship, whatever relationship it may be. In fact, the actual definition of erosion, I think is very fitting, says this, the gradual destruction of something so that it eventually disappears. The gradual destruction of something so that it eventually disappears. What relationship is currently experiencing erosion in your life. Where it's still okay right now, but if things go that the way that they are going, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, that relationship will be gone. Just disappeared. Not because of one thing, not because of one incident or one issue or one problem. Day by day by day by day over the course of time, erosion has completely washed your relationship away to the point where you wake up and you're like, well, where'd it go? That's what happens. We never intend for that to happen, right? We don't intend for that to happen. Just like this. Now, here's, a, here's a picture of uh, Becky and I's beach house. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't have a beach house. But I probably could have afforded that one, just that one. But no, whoever's home this is, you would look at it, well, why did you build a house right there? Well, that part of the cliff wasn't there when they built it, I'm sure. No, it was years and years and years of wind and rain and tide and weather that over time eventually made this house inhabitable. Inhabitable. Understand, our grumblings and our complainings over time will make that relationship in uninhabitable. You will not be able to be in that relationship. Life cannot be supported in a relationship where there is constant grumbling and complaining, period. It cannot sustain life. Because eventually that's just going to fall right out. And it's going to completely disappear because of the erosion of grumbling 
and complaining. Be patient. Don't grumble. Don't complain. I know that's easier said than done. I get that. But we have to. We have to try. We have to stumble in the right direction, so to speak. Let me read this for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, all the way through the beginning of chapter 5. Paul takes a stab at this exact same concept of this be and don't, and you're going to see some very similar things coming through from what James was talking about. He says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, here's the list of don'ts according to him. Get rid of or don't have all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That last part just says, if I've missed anything, throw that in there too. Verse 32, here's the B's. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore is dearly loved children, and walk in the ways of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what it looks like to be patient and not complain and grumble. Just like that. Because it takes the sacrifice and the endurance of patience to say, I really want to blow my top. I really want to complain about this. I really want to tell you what I really think. I really want to fill in the blank. But we say, no, I'm going to sacrifice that for the benefit. Go back and look. It says, but what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that are listening. That it may benefit those that are listening. You may want to say it. You may even think it. You may feel it. But is it beneficial to the person you're trying to build a relationship with? Is it beneficial? He says, you got to get rid of all these things and understand the bitterness, the rage, the envy, the, all the, the malice, all of that. That comes natural. We don't need to be told to have that. <laughs> no, it, it comes so natural. We've got to suppress it. We need to deny ourselves. That's what that, that sacrifice is speaking to, so that we act differently. How do we act differently? Well, we're kind. We're compassionate. We forgive just as Christ forgave us. Now, that's the difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. The don'ts. And the bees, be patient, don't grumble. I want to share a, a question I try to ask myself often. And this is not sa said out of piety. This is said because if I don't say this, I'm going to slide down the wrong route of grumbling and complaining. So here's the question I ask regularly a lot about my family with my spouse and my kids and, and any relationship I'm in. I'd encourage you to write this down or say it or reframe it however you want to do it. But here's the question I ask myself. Is blank better today? Is blank better today? Is my wife better today? Are my kids better today? Because God put me in their life. Is Becky better today because God allowed me in her life about 10 years ago? Are my kids better today because God has allowed me to be one of their parents? Are my relationships better today because God has, put those people, has allowed me to be in their life? Is this church better today because God has allowed me to move here and be a pastor here? Are the relationships in my life, you fill in that blank, are they better today because I'm in their life? If the answer is yes, it's because you've shown patience. And if the answer is no, check the grumblings and complainings. We can only be responsible for the bees and the don'ts. Not everybody else's bees and don'ts. Be patient don't grumble. I'm sure you know um, that a oyster or a clam, they produce pearls. And, uh, and by the way, if you were here last week with Chris Emmett, did a great job with his prop. I, I was here for part of that, and um, I came prepared to outdo him on the props I have on stage, so get ready. So you've got a clam and an oyster, you know how this works, right? and irritant gets in that clam, 
right? Gets in that oyster, and it can be a piece of food. It can be you know, a number of anything. It's an irritant, a grain of sand. And at first, that oyster will try to get rid of it. Will try to push that irritant out. And if that irritant is unable to be removed, the clam, the oyster, will then take on a, a new strategy. And instead of trying to push it out and saying, get out of my life, it actually begins to coat that irritant. The fluid and just coats it and coats it over time. I mean, anywhere between six months all the way up to five plus years. This oyster, this clam will keep coating this irritant until at some point it becomes a pearl. We need to change our strategies. Instead of just getting all of the frustration and all the irritating people out of our life, what if we showed patience through that? Sacrifice with endurance and over time see God do something amazing in those relationships. The easy thing is to just, well, get them out of my life. The hard thing is to coat that person with patience for days, for months, for years. But we will see something amazing come out of that. You cannot have a victory without a battle. You cannot have life change without an I was and then God. You cannot have a pearl without an irritating piece of sand. My hope and my true prayer for you is whatever the frustrations are in those relationships that you're dealing with, your marriage, your kids, your employers, you name it, whatever, we all have them. Whatever that frustration is, change your tactic. Be patient. Don't grumble. Watch God do something beautiful and wonderful in that relationship. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for what you give us in your word. Thank you for the model you have set. Ephesians chapter five, you said that we, we should follow your footsteps, that we should love the way that you have loved with grace, with mercy, with true love, where that's not conditional. It's not based on what they do or don't do. You came to this earth and says, I love, period. And oftentimes in our relationships, we say, well, I'll love if, or if I will, then you will. And God, you're showing us the shift in our thinking of be patient, period. God, whatever frustrations we're dealing with, whatever irritating grains of sand we have in our relationships, whether it's with our spouse, with our kids, with our boss, with our employees, with our neighbors, with our community, whatever that relationship is, God, may instead of pushing it out, may we embrace it the way you embraced us. May we embrace it and have patience the way you have had patience with us, the way that you have loved us, the way that you have forgiven us. And God, may we see something beautiful come from it, something that we could never do on our own, something that only could happen because you were involved with it. May we follow your example in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.